We're glad that you are here. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, if this is not your first time, you are also very welcome. We're glad that you're a part of this uh, church family. Um, my name is Alberto, um, and I'm part of the teaching team, and I get to share uh, today the last of our uh, of our series on the names of God. And it's been really, really, uh, for me personally, it's been it's been uh, a fun adventure uh, to be able to, uh, I just love the time to be able to search the scriptures and, and read and learn. And um, we have been, uh, the, the controlling thought throughout the process uh, of this uh, series has been uh, in knowing the different names of God. It allows us to approach him uh, in different manners. Uh, it allows us access to God in the many facets and the many different uh, ways that he provides or loves and has uh, revealed himself. Uh, and so we have been able to learn these different names of God and these different uh, characteristics of who God is. And in that, hopefully, I, our prayer and our hope has been that that has enabled you to approach God in that way um, in, in maybe in a different way that you hadn't, and and lean more onto uh, onto uh, Jesus and onto God in a different way that maybe you haven't, right? And that's the the process of us as believers is uh, is leaning our lives, putting the weight of our lives onto uh, onto God. And so uh, we we talked about um, Jehovah Jireh, right? Uh, the Lord our provider. Uh, and and I can approach. Do I need provision? Do I need God to provide, then I can approach God because he is the Lord, my provider, right? Um, we talked about Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, my shepherd, right? Do you need guidance? Do you need leadership? Do you need uh, someone to to quiet your soul, right? We can depend on Jehovah Rohi. Uh, we talked about Yahweh uh, uh, Rafi, right? With the Lord, my healer. Or is there a place that in your life that needs healing spiritually, emotionally, physically, right? The Lord is our, our healer, and we can turn to him. And today I want, to, uh, I want to look at the name that is above all other names. Uh, and this is the name uh, in, in Philippians 2, um, which is an old hymn of the early church. Um, there's, a, there's a passage where uh, Paul asks us to consider the life of Christ and to imitate that life and to, to mimic that life. And he shares about the, the, uh, who Jesus is, right? And it says, the, therefore God exalted him because Jesus was willing to humble himself and surrender himself to the will of God and, and, and uh, humble himself unto death. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Acts uh, chapter 4 uh, would tell us that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name than the name of Jesus. Uh, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, right? And then uh, Romans 10 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there is this, this name, this na the name of Jesus is so precious and so powerful and so holy. It is the name above all other names. It is the only name 
uh, given to us under heaven by which we can be saved. But then the beauty of that is that it is also inclusive and it is inviting that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus uh, will be saved. And this is um, my encouragement to us um, and I want us to, uh, we're going to look at the name of Jesus, and we're going to look at Jesus himself and how he has revealed himself uh, to us in, <clears throat> in Scripture. And hopefully that will help us um, to uh, be able to approach Jesus in new ways and to, to be able to lean more of our life uh, onto him, to put more of the weight of, of, of who we are onto Jesus. And so let's start with the name Jesus. And just some, some fun facts about Jesus. I'm going to give you, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the name of Jesus. We're going to talk about a couple of the titles that Jesus used uh, of, uh, for himself. And then we're going to end on uh, these seven uh, statements that Jesus did about himself. And the name Jesus, okay, here's a, here's a little fun fact for you guys. The name Jesus and the name Joshua are the same name. They are just in, uh, and they both mean uh, rescue or to save or the Lord saves. And here's the difference. So Joshua, they both come from the root name Jeshua, which is Hebrew. And uh, Jeshua in uh, English is translated directly to Joshua, right? Uh, where Jesus differs is that Jesus, at the time that Jesus was around, it was a pretty common name, just like Joshua is today. Uh, but uh, Jesus lived in a culture that uh, when... Um, uh, the gospel was being spread. It was the predominant language was Greek. And so Jesus was translated into Greek first, and then from Greek it was transferred to English. And so there you have that extra step. So it's like if you, like, Google Translate, and you put a name or a word in there, and then you translate it to another language and then translate it to another language, right? It, 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 there's, like, some variations. And so that's the difference between Jesus uh, and Joshua. But they're essentially the same name, which means the Lord... Um, or uh, uh, the Lord saves or uh, to rescue. Uh, and so there are a couple of titles that Jesus used in uh, Scripture that are important for us to, to stop and to look at, right? Jesus referred to himself. Jesus' favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is the word that Jesus uses most often when he talks about himself. Um, Example, Luke uh, 19 says, the Son of Man came to seek and save. Uh, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, there's many different instances where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this title is from uh, one of the Old, pro Old Testament prophets named Ezekiel, which, which, which he titled himself that same way. And the wording for it in original Hebrew is actually is the same root word as Adam, which means man. Uh, and so the w the reason Jesus uses that is this is a way of drawing him back to humanity, of connecting himself with humanity. It speaks of the frailty of of his physical body and the frailty of uh, of of his humankind, uh, and it also was related to then his purpose, right, which is to be God in the flesh. That Jesus came in the flesh so that uh, that God poured himself into humanity to become flesh for us, right? The, uh, another title that is often used for Jesus is uh, Son of God. And in multiple places in, uh, in the New Testament, uh, he's called the Son of God. But Jesus doesn't call himself that. When Jesus refers to himself, he calls himself the Son of Man. Uh, other people called himself the Son of God. And here's the reason why. 
uh, the title son of God had a political, uh, it was a political term. Originally, that term was used for uh, the Davidic kings. This was for David and his uh, and those who would succeed him after him. Right. And so uh, when they would call him the son of God, part of that was a political statement, a political position. And Jesus was the uh, from the line of uh, of uh, of David um, from the succession of kings. Right. And. um, But it's also not just this political statement, but Jesus also lives out of a deep and understanding of his sonship to God himself, right? When Jesus is baptized, there's the moment where uh, as he's being lifted out of the water, uh, the Lord God himself speaks and says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm greatly pleased. Also in the transfiguration, Jesus is up on the mountain. He's got some of his disciples with him. And, uh, and again, God speaks and says, this is my son. Listen to him. And so Jesus lives out of this deep sense of uh, sonship. And many people recognize also this, his sonship. Uh, so there's this one moment where Jesus asks, um, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? What are people talking about? What are people saying about me? What, what, you know, what's getting likes on, on, uh, on, uh, online, right? Uh, what are people saying? And uh, <clears throat> his disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah or some of the other prophets. And Jesus asks them a very personal question. And I think he asks that same question of us as well. Who do you say that I am? And uh, Simon Peter looks at him and answers and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Um, and so um, one of the other titles then that Jesus, that I think we should look at before we get to um, the statements that Jesus makes about himself is this idea, this this word Messiah. Now we don't often use the word Messiah. It's not a word that we have in our language that is very um, used often, um, you know. Um, but the in scripture, uh, this is a deeply important word. And all throughout the Bible and the Old Testament, there is there is weaved in all of the stories, in every book, in every uh, in every prophet, in every uh, in, in the songs, in in the Psalms, in in um, in the Exodus, in uh, all the way traced all the way back. There's this through line through all of the scriptures, uh, going even as far back as the first two humans, right, Adam and Eve. Uh, there's these spoken words of this future and coming king, this Messiah who would be the one who was going to be promised, who was the one who would deliver his people. He was the one that everyone was looking forward to. And there are over 300 prophecies of this Messiah and who he would be, where where he would be born, what he would look like, the things that he would do, some of the ways that he would uh, uh, uh act and talk to people, what his political power would be, what his spiritual power would be, who he was going to be, like all these verses uh, pointing to um, this person. So when we say the words Jesus Christ, Christ isn't Jesus's last name. Hello, my name is Jesus H. Christ, right? No, it's, uh, it's uh, Christ is the Greek word for uh, Messiah. Uh, in Greek, it's uh, Christos. This is the same word as Messiah. Messiah in Hebrew, uh, Christos in Greek. 
So when we are talking about Jesus Christ, we are saying, literally saying, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus Messiah. And so uh, it's important for us to remember this because this is such an important, crucial role that Jesus plays. Uh, the Messiah in Greek, didn't th- that word didn't have a lot of meaning, maybe in the same way that, that for us it doesn't. Uh, but in, in Hebrew, it was such a charge and such a powerful uh, name and such a powerful uh, title that Jesus carried. And if you look at uh, the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they, they trace this beautiful image of Jesus as the Messiah, especially Matthew, uh, because Matthew was written for, um, uh, was written to a Jewish audience. The intended audience were a Jewish people who knew the scriptures, who knew uh, of the story of the, of the Messiah, right? And so um, you see this, this, this image of Jesus as the Messiah and what he will do and how that, what that looks like all throughout uh, the Gospels. And um, there are three main categories for what the Messiah was and who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would do. Messiah, the word, means anointed one. It means anointed one. There were th- and so the three categories are this. The three types of person who was anointed was the prophet, the priest, and the king. And being anointed, they would, they would pour oil over their head. And this was a symbol of them being appointed or set apart for a specific purpose, a specific task, a specific role in their society, uh, um, or to be set apart as holy to God, right? And so the prophet, the priest, priest and the king. And so the Messiah had to function in a, in a role that encompassed all three of these roles, the prophet, who the prophet was the one who spoke, uh, uh, was the mouthpiece for God. And God would speak to the prophet, and then the prophet would speak to the people, right? And they were the mouthpiece. They were the ones who spoke the words uh, of God to the people, right? And so Jesus fulfills this, not only in sharing of the kingdom of God and who God was, but even in being the word himself. John 1 says... Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is uh, is that 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 pre that prophet uh, as priest, right? The priests were a a, a, a tribe of Israel, of the original uh, tribes, twelve tribes of Israel. It was a group of people who were set apart from the rest of all of the other people who were only uh, their only jobs were to be priests. And that, that was their function in their society. And what the priest does is he stands uh, as an intermediate intermediary between uh, God and the people. They were the ones who would stand on behalf of the people. They were the ones who uh, interceded on behalf of the people. Uh, and intercession is such an important role. And we stand as interceders for our family and for our friends. And, uh, and Jesus... Um, and, and the priest stood as the intercessor for the people, right? And then, so if you look at, if you look at Scripture and, and what it describes about Jesus and what Jesus has done, if you look at Hebrews, and I would really encourage, if you've never done a Bible study on the book of Hebrews, you should really do it. It's really 
deep. It's really, it's a little complicated, and it's, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's not like an easy book to really get into because you really need to have an understanding of Jewish uh, 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 religious kind of culture and what that looked like and the, and the tabernacle and the, and the law and the sacrifices and the temple and all these things. But it is this incredible parallel of what Jesus did for us and how that parallels uh, and, and, and fulfills this role of priest. Um, but Jesus comes to become our priest uh, forever. And um, I want to read uh, in Hebrews 7, it says, Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrifices for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. So Jesus not only is the, uh, the blood that was sacrificed, right? We talked about God's provision, Jesus being the lamb of God that was, uh, was laid down for our, on our behalf. Uh, but he is also the priest who offers himself. So he offers, he becomes then everything. The offering, the one who sacrifices, the, the priest who does that offering uh, on our behalf. And he is the king, right, as well. Um, he was uh, um, appointed as, uh, as our king. As he's lord over all things. He was the king in, in, in the line. He, he was in the line of succession of... Um, of the rightful kings of, of Israel. Not only that, but they also called him son of David. That was a title that many people would call him also in, in showing that he was of the rightful, uh, that he was um, of the rightful rule of the, of, the, of the kings, the sons of David, right? Okay, so all that's some fun facts for you guys to know, right? Some of the names, some of the titles, some of the in information about Jesus, right? You can go... You, like, we can spend a thousand years, like, just on the name of Jesus alone, you know, and I had 30 minutes, so we're, we're just kind of running through those really quickly, right? Uh, but what I want to do is I wanted to spend our time, we started the series by looking at the name of God that, that God revealed uh, to the people of Israel in, uh, in Exodus when he uh, spoke to, Ab uh, to Abraham, to Moses, Right When God revealed himself to Moses, Moses says to God, who shall I tell the people that you are? And God reveals himself, tell them I am that I am, which means I will be what I will be. And, and this, this name, I am, is the, the Hashem, the holy name, the sacred name, the name. This is the most, uh, the highest name of God in the Old Testament, right? And uh, it is uh, kind of broken down into I am. And there are seven instances in John, uh, the Gospel of John, where Jesus reveals himself through this name, I am. And I want us to look at these seven um, uh, revelations of Jesus and who he is, and hopefully that will uh, give us even more avenues of approaching Jesus and knowing Jesus and worshiping Jesus and living for Jesus, but also uh, in, in, in understanding who uh, we are uh, loving and serving. 
right, and who Jesus is, right? Okay, so uh, we're going to jump into them. And the first of them is uh, found in John, and we're going we're gonna to go pretty much in, in, in order of, uh, of the scripture. Uh, and so I'm really going to kind of walk you through a little bit of, of the book of John. And the first one is, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Yes. When we think about bread, right, as a Puerto Rican, uh, bread is a real deep part of our of my life, right? Uh, we subsist on bread and rice. Man cannot live on bread alone, so we added rice, right? Um, and for us, uh, bread is so important, right? Just this, I have these images of like just waking up really early, going to the panaderia, and just sitting there and eating bread and like and coffee, and it's delicious, right? And um, this even smells really good, right? Uh, but, but Jesus says in John, uh, we'll pass it around, everyone can get a whiff. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6, um, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. See, bread was, in, in uh, Jewish culture at that time, in many, many cultures, bread is viewed as kind of the basic substance uh, for life. This is what uh, communities subsisted on uh, in order to survive. They would get their bread. They would eat bread. It was the, it was the way that, uh, it was a way of survival, right? And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. And this was important to the uh, to a Jewish person in the first century would understand this completely because one of the key like things that they remember of the exodus of when God provided for his people was every morning God provided this thing called manna and it just appeared and they would it was these little flakes and they would take it and they would uh, get it and they'd make turn it into this bread that they would eat and that's how they survived for 40 years in the desert God miraculously provided bread substance for them to eat. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Now, in each of these I am statements, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, the outline is that we're going to give you three things, right? There's one, the statement, two, the sign that Jesus gives to prove this is truth of him, and this is who he is, right? And then the invitation. And for us, uh, the thing about bread is this. Bread is amazing, and bread smells great, and I love bread. And Oprah Winfrey loves bread, right? But the thing about bread is bread is not amazing unless you ingest it. The, the property and the value of bread comes in, in consuming it because it becomes, it goes into you and it becomes a part of you. And your body digests it and it, and it goes into your arteries and clogs. Uh, no, it floods. Like, it fills you, right? It bread, it, it, unless you ingest it, consume it, it's, it's not going to fulfill its function, right? And Jesus himself is also in that same way. He says, whoever comes to me, there's an invitation here. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, will never be hungry. There is an invitation, but we have to ingest it. We need to come to Jesus. All right, so there's Jesus is the bread of life. He is sustaining us. Do you need substance today? Do you need sustenance? Have you grown, grown weary or hungry? Come to Jesus. He is the bread of life. 
Uh, and number two, Jesus, uh, a little farther down, and, and oh, and the, the miraculous sign that Jesus does is at, before he says this, Jesus speaks this in the context of having multiplied uh, bread and fish for 5,000 people, over 5,000 people, because it really, j- they just counted the men, right? So it could be anywhere between 10 and 15,000 people that Jesus took five loaves and broke it and gave thanks and multiplied it to feed the, th- the thousands. The sign that Jesus is the bread of life, right? And, th- and secondly, then he, uh, a little farther down, Jesus says this in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All right, uh, again, going back to my Puerto Rican heritage, right? There's a lot of moments where the lights go out. It was just kind of a part of the part of your world. You just understood it. Lights went out all the time. I, I'm on a family group with my with my uh, family, and uh, and they're always like, "Well, the lights are out. Who else?" And they're like, "Who else has got electricity?" And uh, we're always like trying to figure out wh- who whose house we're going to to shower and like sleep in air, you know. Um, but um, Jesus is saying, "I am the light." And so growing up with a candle was invaluable because it shined in the darkness. And uh, if we candle, right, we take for granted how much light we have. Um, but for a person in the first century, the understanding of what a, a candle could do and how it could light a situation in a moment um, was completely different. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Going back to that first statement in John, um, where Jesus, uh, where it reveals Jesus as the word, um, and says, for all things were created through him and by in, in, in him. And uh, through him, all things were created. Nothing that has been made uh, was not made through him. I got that wrong. In him was, all right, I have to start from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And in him, God created all, okay. I have it memorized. I just, I'm getting nervous. Anyways, (laughs) it's Kim. She's looking at me strange, right? I wrote it down, though, right? The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world, right? And so uh, this light that gives life. Because light gave light. It's, this, it, it's symbolic, but it's also literal, right? Because uh, what we think about, when we think about darkness, when we think about the dimming of a light, I think about my father, and as he died, the illustration that I thought of is that his light just slowly dimmed until he was extinguished, right? This, this light that is inside of us, right? We think about it. That light is Jesus himself. I am the light of the world. But it's not only light, but it's also an awareness of truth and an ability to see things as true, right? As a kid, I I remember at nighttime, I was terrified of the dark, right? And my brother, jerk, told me that uh, whenever I got a a hot air balloon, that if I saw that hot air balloon floating in the darkness of night, it would scare me to death and I'd have a heart attack and die, so I would literally have to, like, tie down balloons and, like, hide them in closets and stuff. <laughs> but in the dark, at night, you know, if you're walking through a sketchy part of town and it's dark, we're afraid. Why? Because darkness conceals. 
we can't see what's there. But light, in the light of day, it's just a balloon. It's just a, it's just a jacket that's on a chair. It's just, you know, there's no one in this alleyway, right? It's, I can see true. I can see clear. And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I have come that you would know truth, that you could see clearly the reality of this world and truth, because I am truth. And that is the invitation. And the sign for that is right after Jesus says this, he gets into a conversation with the, uh, with, um, uh, the, the teachers of the law, and he's explaining that he is the light. And he finds this man who was born blind. And you have this, you, we're going to have this kind of juxtaposition of this man who is physically blind, and Jesus goes up to him and spits in the samud. And rubs it in his eyes, ew, and then tells him, go wash. And this man go washes in the fountain, and he comes back seeing for the first time in his adult life. Like, he had been born blind. In, he had no ability to see, and Jesus brought light to his eyes. And in the same way, paralleled with them are these men who... <clears throat> who believed they had truth and believed that they saw, but were face-to-face with Jesus and couldn't see the truth that was in front of them. And Jesus says, you are blind. And so there's a man who was born blind, physically blind, and physically is now able to see. And these other men who were spiritually able to see and had become blind. Jesus is the light of the world. And so the invitation for us is, Is your world dark? Is there confusion? Do you need truth? Do you need light? Come to Jesus. He is the light of the world. All right, and then uh, then farther down, Jesus then says, I am the good shepherd. I didn't have a regular sheep, so we got the green sheep. This is... Someone gave that to Sebastian when, when uh, Marga was pregnant with him because they're like, well, we couldn't find a frog, but we found this green sheep. It's kind of close, right, <laughs> to like the sapito. So um, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, it works, right? And, and Wendy, uh, uh, I'm not going to go super deep into this because Wendy spent a long time on this one, right? And it's this amazing, she unpacked it in this incredible way. Jehovah Rohi, our the Lord, our shepherd. Jesus said twice, he said, I am the gate through which the sheep come through, and I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you need direction? Do you need the shepherd to guide you? What are the promises, right? Psalm 23, uh, that I, I won't be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. I will fear no evil, even in the face of death, right? Uh, he comfort me. You are with me. You prepare a table in the banquet, uh, in the presence of my enemies, right? The presence of God, you anoint my head with oil, right? Uh, and so do you need direction? Because Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life uh, for his sheep. Do you need, um, all right, the fourth one. Then Jesus. We're just going to let it there. <laughs> uh, and then, and now they start moving in kind of a deeper sense, right? Uh, in uh, chapter 11, Jesus says, I am 
the resurrection and the life. And the context in which he says this is uh, his uh, a f- close family friend, uh, Lazarus, had died. And Jesus took his time to get there when he found out that Lazarus was sick. And in a consequence, Lazarus dies. And Jesus is on his way there. And, and Martha hears that Jesus is on his way. And she runs out to Jesus. And she falls at his feet and, and, and she says, if you would have just been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, your brother will live again. And Martha's like, yes, I believe it. In the resurrection, he'll, he, will, he, will come, he will live again. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And for anyone who's ever lost someone, those words penetrate through sadness and darkness to restore a hope of the living God that one day we will be restored and there will be life again to a place where there will be no more weeping, no more tears, no more death, no more sadness. And I cling to that and I hold on to that hope that Jesus reveals himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Not only is he going to bring people back, but he himself is that. And Jesus asks Martha that. He says, do you believe this? And Martha looks at Jesus and says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. symbol for that is um, when my father passed away, uh, Young Life, my, my, where I worked, they gave me this little jar as a, just as a memory and as a, as a reminder. And, and we hold fast to that memory and that hope that one day. And then the sign. What sign does Jesus do for this to prove that he is the resurrection, to show that he has power over life and death? He walks up to the grave. He cries knowing and and sympathizing and empathizing with Mary and Martha and me and those who have lost someone. And he looks at the grave and he says, remove the stone. And they argue like, Jesus, no, 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 he's he's been dead for so long. And Jesus says, remove the stone. And then Jesus calls into death and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man was brought back to life. And Lazarus walks out of this temple, out of this grave, whole, alive, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Are you facing death? Have you faced death in a loved one, a sickness, a sadness, a death of of a dream or of a hope? Come to Jesus. He has conquered death. He is the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I asked Larry to give me a map, and, uh, and uh, he gave me a bunch of maps. And I pulled out the first one, and, and guess where it's for? Old Faithful. Is that not symbolic, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you look at a map, and no one, no one really knows what a map is anymore because now we all have Google and uh, Google 
tells us all where to go and, uh, and what to do, the almighty Google. Uh, but uh, a map was the way that would guide us or people to their destination. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one road that leads to God, and that is through Jesus himself. Not only is he the way, the actual road, but he's going to make a way. And, and, and Hebrews 10 uh, speaks on, um, again, kind of going back to Hebrews and this, this parallel understanding of Jesus and what Jesus did in, our, in the earthly temple and, and, and how that process worked, right? And, uh, and Jesus, uh, in Hebrews 10, it talks about how through his body, broken on the cross for us, Jesus is making a way for us to come to God. His body has becomes, and this is kind of a morbid image, right? But his body has become the curtain that through this, through him, we have now access to God the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Are you lost? Has your life been leading you down the wrong path? And you don't know your way home. Come to Jesus. He will show you the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Second to last is Jesus then in John 15 says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. is these tasty grapes, right? That uh, the image there that Jesus is saying is that he is the vine and we are the branches. Okay, I want to show you something real quick. Let me ask you a question. Which of these is more dead or deader if Marga were to be around? Which of these branches is more dead? This one? How many, how many vote this one? How many vote this one? The truth is they're the same because disconnected to, from the tree that gives them life, it is only a matter of time before perception catches up with reality. That disconnected from the source of life, both of these are just equally dead. They're both as dead. And us disconnected from the vine of life, which is Jesus, we are also truly dead. And it's just a matter of time between before perception catches up to reality. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We are dead. But connected to Christ, we can bear fruit, fruit that will last. What kind of fruit? What fruit does... Uh, our life produced. Ask yourself that for a second. What kind of fruit does my life right now produce? 
right? And I'm not saying, like, you know, like, does it grow like something, you you know, like weird. And it, when I was a kid, my mom would tell me, if you swallow seeds, you're going to grow a tree in your stomach, right? Because she, she didn't want me to swallow seeds. But I thought, that would be awesome. If I had, like, like a mango tree growing inside of me, right, or like a, like an orange tree just kind of popping out, like, I would always have a snack, right? Anywhere I go, just grab it. You know, I can use protection. Someone's messing with me, I just throw an apple at them, right? I don't know. Anyways. But what fruit, what kind of fruit does your life produce? Like, take inventory and stop and question and think. Like, what does my life produce? The way I live, what is it producing? And, and uh, the production, the, the produce, the byproduct of a life connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Which of those things maybe is lacking in your life? Come to the vine. He will, he will connect yourself back to Jesus. Do you need patience with your children? Do you need goodness? Do you need gentleness? Do you need more love? Do you need kindness? Those things aren't going to grow inside of you. It's not going to just be produced in you just on a whim, but connected to the vine, connected to Jesus. He will produce those things in you. And so the invitation is, do you need to be transformed? Do you need the presence of God to produce fruit in you that will last? Come to Jesus. He's the true vine. And the last statement uh, Jesus says is in John 8. Uh, he was talking with, again, discussing with the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of law. And he tells them this, I tell you the truth, before Adam was born, I am. And at this, the Bible tells us that they grabbed stones and were literally going to stone Jesus right there in that moment. They were going to kill him. Why? Because when Jesus saying this, by saying this, he is literally saying, I am God. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. I am. And for Jesus to make such a bold statement, we have to come to a place where there's only three options. Either Jesus is telling the truth, and he is who he says he is. And what does that mean for me and how I follow him and live my life in relationship with him? Or he's lying. And he's evil. And he gets what he deserves in the end. Or he's delusional. Who dies a horrible, horrible death. But Jesus comes to this place and says, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And then Colossians 1 would, would tell us this, that, that all things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus is not only the vehicle in which God created everything, if you look at all of these statements, there is a, a common thread of life. That through Jesus, there is granted life because Jesus is life itself. 
And so only in coming to Jesus can we have that life. Can we have the life that he grants to us? Is there absence of God in your life? Do you need to come to the God, infinite past, infinite future, and recognize his lordship? The invitation is to come to Jesus, for in him all things were created by him and for him, because Jesus is the great I am. Worship team, that's your sign. I, we, oh, I always forget, like, what the, we got to, I don't know, anyways. My invitation for us this, this morning, as we close and as we approach the table of the Lord, and on the table there's the blood that represents, or the juice that represents the blood of Christ. On the table there is the, the bread that represents the body of Christ. Because it is through Jesus' sacrifice that we have presence, that we have life, that we have light, that we have substance. And so the invitation is, do you need sustenance? Have you grown weary or hungry? Come to Jesus. He is the bread of life. Is your world dark? Do you need light? Do you need to see truth? Come to Jesus. He is the light of the world. Do you need direction, the shepherd to guide you? Come to Jesus. He will lead you. He is the good shepherd. Are you facing death, sickness, the loss of a loved one? Come to Jesus. He has conquered death. He is the resurrection and the life. Are you lost? Has your life been leading you down the wrong paths? Come to Jesus. He will show you the way, the truth, and the life. Do you need transformation? Do you need the presence of God to produce a fruit in you that will last? Come to Jesus. He is the true vine. Is there an absence of God in your life? Do you need to come to Jesus to lay down your life and surrender to him? Come to Jesus. For in him all things were created by him and for him because he is the great I am. As we approach the table, let us approach with confidence knowing that Jesus has invited us to come to him and he will give us life. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you reveal yourself and invite us to know you, step into you, and that you are all that we need. Remind us of that, Lord, this morning. Give us the boldness to approach you, to come to you, to know you on a deeper level. Draw us closer together as a body. Draw us closer together as a family. Thank you, God, for all that you gave for us that we could know you. The name above all name. The only name in which we can be saved and the name in which we have prayed. In Jesus' name, amen.